Tuesday, September 21st. I'm Guy Adami, joined by my day after birthday, 49th birthday friend, Dan Nathan, for today's macro setup, which will be brought to you by Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. Dan, write that down. There'll be a quiz. We're going to be joined by senior strategist at Daily FX, Chris Vecchio, in a little while. And of course, also brought to you by our friends at Open Exchange. I know you guys and gals know, but I'll say it anyway. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, happy belated birthday. One, how are you doing? Two. I'm doing well, guy. I was kind of powering through this, the macro setup last week. Look, my voice is back here. And, you know, That's Amanda Diaz, our crack producer here, she put a little title in there, Evergrande, causing some problems for the Everlong trade. Nice. Now, you and I, nice. And that's good. And, and, you know, because I lost my voice last week. Why, guy? Because you went to, I think, the Pearl Jam or the Food Fighters concert Food or something Fighters, like that. Food Fighters, and Everlong right. was one of their first big hits in the late 90s. And oh, you and I, I get it now. Right. have remarked about the stock market having this Everlong trade. They buy every dip, right? And you just decide what moving average. You want to map that uh, technical support to. There's been a lot of talk about the 50-day moving average in the S&P 500 over the last, let's say, year or so. And that Everlong trade's been intact. You just buy it there when it pulls back. We were talking last week about how these pullbacks are getting shallower mm-hmm. and shallower. So it took a headline from overseas, something that had kind of been bubbling up on some macro investors' radars for weeks. But was it just the ever grand story out of China that caused this volatility in the stock market to you, Guy Dami? No, it's not. I mean, clearly that's going to be the headline. That's what everybody's talking about over the last 48 hours. And we'll probably will be continue. We'll probably bring it up again next week is my sense. But there's so many other things under the surface that the market, for whatever reason, has been discounting it. I think this is, and I was never on a camel, so I'm not sure what exactly breaks <laughs> their back. But for a day, at least, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And, you know, maybe there's something here. I will say, and I said it on Fast Money last night, there's a certain irony to the fact that, you know, the Bank of China has decided that they're going to allow certain companies to fail, whereas, you know, that is really capitalism in its purest sense, whereas here in the United States, uh, we decide to go the other way. That's for another show, clearly, but I find it somewhat amusing. But clearly, this ever grand story is top of mind. A lot of people say it's not systemic. We will see. Um, I think it's the first of many. I don't know what that means for the broader market, but clearly it's top of mind for everybody. The other thing is the Fed's taper timeline, Dan, which I think we need to talk about for a number of different things. One, does this story out of China give them air cover? Two, and, and I say this in all seriousness, you know, we heard from a few Fed officials, Rosengrens and Kaplan, basically saying that they're going to pare down or get out of positions. I wonder if this is going to give the Fed reason not to taper. And I can go through the backward logic that I you know, have in my conspiracy minded head. Uh, but that's out there as well. And I know you're a big crypto guy, so we'll talk about that. But let's just talk about the Fed briefly here. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I think your point about cover, you know, the, they've tried to telegraph their thoughts. And I think they have done it pretty decently. A lot of Fed governors, I think, in the last minutes are suggesting that a taper should happen sooner than later. And the timeline without this headline about Evergrande, which really plays into, I think, the broader issue, guy, forget about China regulatory action. They've been doing this with some of their tech champions now, it seems like for the better part of the last year. So the irony that they might let a large property developer that a lot 
lot of retail money is involved in, whether it's been from an investment standpoint in the actual properties. Um, you know, they've had some civil unrest, some protests about this situation, but they've been regulating the heck in a very anti-capitalistic way on the technology mm-hmm. side. So it seems pretty weird. The bigger question to me, Guy, is that growth has been slowing in a way that maybe not commensurate with what a lot of economists and strategists had thought where the global economy might be. Now, that is a delta thing, if you will. Um, But so the question that the Fed has to ask themselves is like, how quickly do we get back to pre-pandemic levels, right, of growth, which might be offset by the fits and starts of the global recovery? And that's probably why they have a bit of a cover as we go into this two-day meeting starting today, guys. Yes, sir. Well, heavy is the head that wears the crown for you Shakespeare fans out there. And it's a heavy head that uh, Jerome Powell finds himself with. And no, that's the job you sign up for. Uh, There will never be a perfect time to begin this taper. I mean, by definition, something will always crop up. They've been at this dance way too long. It's like the scene at West Side Story fans out there. You know, they just stuck around too long and you see what happens. You wind up getting in a brawl with hoodlums like me. But that's another show for another time. By the way, isn't Spielberg making a new West Side Story? If he is, I'm, I'm all over that. It's, I think it's coming out over the holiday season. I'm not sure that's going to help those AMC apes out there because a lot of people like you are going to be watching it on the streaming service with a nice glass of scotch as you kind of sit back. All right, let's hit the charts because I think that finally we got a bit of vol here. Guy, you and I on the macro setup, it feels like for months have been drawing some of these straight lines. Some of them go from the bottom left to the upper right. Mm-hmm. Most of them related to the stock market. Um, And we finally broke one in a meaningful way. And I think last week we talked about, again, those shallower and shallower peak to trough decline. So we broke that uptrend that had been in place from the March 2020 lows. The S&P 500 was up more than 100% from there. We didn't put the 50-day moving average. It seems like everyone on the fin twit is obsessing over that little squiggly line where the market has been bought. Well, we just broke the uptrend. We broke the 50-day. You know where that 200-day moving average is. We haven't sniff the 200-day moving average um, in what, since June of 2020? Last year. yeah, 4,100, guy. Are we going to see it? Would that be healthy for the stock market? I will say that if you look at that double bottom low back in May, somewhere at the 4,200 range, I mean, man, doesn't that set up for the market still up on the year? It's still constructive in an uptrend. It's just correcting a little bit, taking out some of the excess. Yeah, there are three certainties in life. I'll give them to you if, you, if you're curious at home. You can, I'll give you a second so you can get a pencil and paper and take notes. Uh, the first certainty is um, death. We're all, we all face the same inevitability, number one. Yeah. Number two, taxes. Like it or not, you're going to pay it. The third, uh, basically, the third thing that's a certainty in life is my jump shot from 18 feet and in. So when I speak about this stuff, I can't speak without any certainty whatsoever. What I said last night on Fast Money, and oh, by the way, we had a conversation at about 2.30 yesterday, you and I, and you said, you know, should I start to cover some of my shorts? I said, look, I still think uh, there's, some, there's some perilous times ahead of us. I said, but we've seen this, both of us have seen this movie before. We're probably going to be talking about the late day rally in the S&P 500 and some nonsense turnaround twos that everybody seems to like. And lo and behold, that's what's taking place. To answer your question, will we see 4,100, which is the 200 day? Yes, I do. I think there'll be bounces along the way. But oh, by the way, we have seen moves of this magnitude twice this year. We saw one in May and we saw yeah. one in July. Here's a five. I think this is a five day chart, which this is new to the macro setup, but it's worth taking a look at in terms of you know where we've been and where we are. 
making a bit of an island here. So, you know, logic suggests we'll get back to the levels we broke down from. What are your thoughts here on the five day? Yeah. So, you know, maybe they try to fill in that gap. We're taping this just before 11 a.m. on Tuesday and the market has already failed off its highs. I think the S&P is up about 20 bips right now is up maybe 70 basis points at its highs at its lows. Yesterday was about what, two and a half percent or so. The Nasdaq was down a little more than three percent. We're going to hit the Nasdaq chart very soon. I would just say, again, follow those top five names, Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, Facebook and Microsoft. If they go red on the day, you're going to have a retest, in my opinion, of yesterday's lows. And then you might get a little bit of a panic. I thought yesterday's sell-off was fairly orderly. It didn't seem particularly panicky. And in times, you and I have remarked over the last few months that some of the buying seemed a bit panicky, right, as we were breaking out to new highs. So I think a little fear in the market is quite helpful, which brings us to the fear index guy. You've often volatility index. Yeah, that mid-20s range has kind of been maybe as high as like the, you know, 29 or so has been a level where you see pullbacks um, kind of abate in the market here. And they've gotten there in different ways over the last, like, say, six to nine months. This is probably the sharpest one we've seen in a few months. But again, you get to that 29 level and what happens, guy? Yeah. So it sells off precipitously. It's interesting. You know, back out last March, April, obviously, we know what happened back then. So forget about that 80 print. Just go back and look at June. Just see what we've done here. These are all one, two, maybe three day events of volatility. And then they go back on their merry way headed lower. I mean, we've seen this pattern over and over again. And I'm suggesting we're probably in the midst of one uh, right now. I said it on Fast Money and I'll say it here. You know, we're probably going to print a high teens VIX at some point before we make that next move lower in the S&P 500, which I do believe will be 4,100. But this is a pretty good visual indicator as to what exactly we're talking about here. You know, these events are short lived, as you can see by the chart. You don't need to hear us say it. You can look and see. And, you know, they become less and less in terms of um, trough to peak. We will see. Again, I think we print high teens in the VIX. I think that's the next level to sell the broader market. And we'll see if I uh, stand correct in the ensuing days to weeks, Dan, Nathan. Yeah. So I guess going back to those top five names, though, again, that make up nearly 10 trillion in market cap, 25 percent or you know, 23, 24 percent of the S&P 500. They make up about 45, 46 percent of the NASDAQ 100, the NDX. And I think mm-hmm. If you look at that uptrend that I drew from the March 2020 lows, listen, you can draw these however you want. Okay. You can kind of start them wherever you want. You're going to get some different uptrends. This one was really interesting to me because when I connect it really to that May 2021 low, just from let's say a few months ago or so, that's where we kind of stopped yesterday there. And if you look at that 200 day moving average down there, just below 14,000, it's 13,861 uh, or so, you know, that's a level. I mean, it's obviously been rising here. Um, The NASDAQ has had greater bouts of volatility over the last year than the S&P 500. Again, five stocks make up nearly half the weight of an index of 100. I mean, to me, that one seems like that's the leadership on the downside if you get it. And again, if those big five go red today, you're going to be breaking that uptrend that's been in place for you know a year and a half or so. It's interesting. I mean, that's the F MAGA complex you talk about. We're taking yeah. a look at this five-day chart, but that, that chart we just looked at, as Carter Worth would say, to the penny in terms of how it yeah. held that uptrend line. And we'll see if it continues to hold. Obviously, we pointed out that the S&P broke. NASDAQ has seemed to hold. We'll see if that uh, continues to be the case. I think, by the way, one of the reasons, again, this is just my opinion, one of the reasons that the NASDAQ held yesterday or today 
is because of the fact that bond yields moved lower, which is supportive of some of these high growth, high valuation names. This is, again, a five-day chart, which is new to us here at the macro setup, but one we're taking a look at. <laughs> Question is, do we fill that gap? Um, we'll see. But if we don't and we continue to break down here today, it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, there are a lot of weird things going on under the surface, as we like to say, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, one of the ones that you've kind of picked out on, on many occasions is the Russell 2000, the small caps. The, the, they're economically more sensitive, let's say, than um, some of their large cap brethren here. And this thing, you know, outperformed off of the lows um, after we got the vaccine news in November. Um, but it's really gone sideways here. And it really sniffed out the potential for slowing economic growth, possibly, um, or more headwinds to economic growth uh, than, than a lot of uh, people might expect. And I just think it's interesting that there hasn't been a new high confirmed in the Russell 2000 uh, versus the S&P 500 since late March. And then if you look at that, so we've had a series of lower highs. We've also had, you know, this kind of like support level here, not too far below where we are. Um, If we were to see large cap kind of lead the way to the downside, it'll be interesting to see how small caps act. And if they do finally break that support that's been in place really since February in a way. So um, I know you have some thoughts on the Russell 2000. No, I absolutely have some thoughts. I mean, think about it. This this topped out in March and March was probably peak vaccine news time. If you go back on your calendar and look, and it's been trading sideways ever since trying to figure out in terms of being the most economically sensitive names, what do they want? Do they want higher rates would be suggestive of economic growth or they want lower rates or Do they want rates to sort of meander where we are? The IWM or the RTY in this case has not been able to figure out what I will point out. And I'm not looking to make your eyes glaze over. But you go back to basically, you know, late summer of 2020, when the 50 day moving average crossed over the 200 day, we were off to the races in the fall in terms of the IWM. Well, just keep an eye on this, because right now the 50 day moving average here is 2220. There are about 200 days, about 2205. If this then crosses the other way, again, I've said this a hundred times. I'm not sure who Katie is, but she better bar whatever door she's in front of because it could get ugly. Sideways action. I will be say this again. I think the IWM is going to tell you where the next uh, 10 to 15 percent in the S&P 500 is. If this thing breaks, this thing being uh, the RTY, that green line that Dan drew, watch out, folks, because it's going to get really interesting really quick. Yeah. So you talk about that March high there. It also, you know, corresponds with the highs in the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield around the same time. And at that point, you know, it got as high as one point seven seven. You know, that was something that you had been calling for when, you know, the the 10 year yield started the year at one percent or so. And it got there. And I think a lot of people were kind of trying to put in their models what, uh, you know, a two percent plus 10 year yield looks like for economic growth. And I think a lot of the conversation is usually just mentioned is that might be deemed positive, if you will. Well, look at this 10-year chart here. We're making this little kind of you know, wedge or triangle mm-hmm. or whatever formation mm-hmm. here. You see where the, the resistance is. There's been numerous occasions where it's nearly got to kind of 1.3539% or so, um, and it's failed there. And it's also kind of in this slightly little uptrend from that 1.13 double bottom that we had earlier in the summer. It's below its 200-day moving average. It just doesn't seem like it wants to go higher. So we have this Fed meeting this week, and if they push out taper or they just tend to be a bit more than some people think they might. And again, this volatility in the equity markets over the last week might give them reason to do so. I guess the question I have for you guys, are we going to be testing that 1.13 level again? 
Well, I say no, but I mean, I've been wrong on this one. And I think you believe that we will, which, and as I say, that's what makes markets. Um, there is a slowdown afoot, clearly. And in that environment, it would make sense that we trade lower. Um, we'll see. Is there going to be a flight to quality in the form of U.S. government bonds? Well, we saw it yesterday on the back of this Evergrande news when yields moved significantly lower. I mean, again, there's a tug of war going on here. The 200-day moving average for you playing our home game is about 1.36 or so. We've traded up there, failed a couple times. We're in this little wedge formation, as Dan mentioned. I'll say again, I think rates go higher. But, you know, at a certain point, I got to sort of say, by the way, the man from Uncle was a great show. And the guy that was in the man from Uncle, I think his name is McCullough, the last name. He's in that NCIS with Mark Carmen, who has lived a charmed life anyway. I completely digress. Let's take a look at what's you next. Did, you here, digress Dan. and you age yourself on every episode of the macro setup. Yeah, you got well, to do that. I think crude fits into this narrative too, Guy. And, you know, it broke that downtrend that it had been. It bounced off of support exactly where it should have um, back there near 62, 62 and a half or so. Let's see how it does with that downtrend. Um, you know, if it breaks below that again, I'm thinking we get a test of the 200 day moving average and it, it you know, this is a, a tough one, right? The supply de demand dynamics are external to what's going on with the pandemic, obviously, with what goes on with OPEC here. Um, but, you know, again, this is, a, a, I think, a good broad macro indicator of some of the things. And again, it also reflects to where are rates going? What is the dollar doing? Chris Vecchio is going to help us out with all of that in a, in a minute or so here. But your thoughts on crude? Well, this is what we call in the business a bit of a false breakout, right? When you broke yeah. that downtrend line that Dan drew, that red line, again, for you playing our home game, I thought we'd trade back to the levels we saw early in the summer. Clearly, that's not been the case. And here we are trending back to that line. If we were to then break down through it, Dan's right. We're probably going to test that $60-ish level, which corresponds in large part to that 200-day moving average. Now, a lot of you folks say you gave us our top three. You only talked about two of them. Did you forget? No, I didn't forget. <laughs> of course I didn't forget. Thank you. Bitcoin, talk to me, Dan, because that was point three. A lot of craziness going on here in crypto. Yeah. So two weeks ago, when we were taping the macro setup, there was a flash crash going on. We were talking about a nice little pullback from you know multi-month highs. And by the time we got off, Brendan, um, one of our friends over there at Open Love Brendan, by the way. Love Cavinos too, Mike Cavino. They're great. Oh, Tremendous. We love them both. But but Brendan seems to be a little bit obsessed with the crypto. He said, guys, guys, get to turn the machines back on. Crypto's, <laughs> crypto's crashing here. And uh, you know, it was. I mean, it literally, you know, Bitcoin went, I think, from 53,000 to 43,000 like that. And I think Ethereum went from 4,000 to 3,000 literally in the half an hour while we were taping. So what I think is really interesting right now, two weeks later, you know, they've kind of backed and filled a little bit, but they both paused right now at those flat, flash crash lows. They were a little bit before them. They're there as we're taping this. And I just think in the Bitcoin, watch that breakout level. It's right around these levels. We had been eyeing it for months during the summer. That 42.5 level, right, was the level. Well, now it is, you know, past resistance becomes support. We're right there. Let's look at Ethereum really quickly. This is the one I think macro setup um, viewers know that I am much more inclined to buy on pullbacks and I continue to do it. I did buy some yesterday. I will buy some more today. I think that 200 day moving average down there just above 2600, that's where I'm all over it. So I've been buying a little on a scale back. Um, I did not buy it when it broke out above that range, um, about 3300 or something like that. But I really like this one here. 
So that is my take on crypto guide on And that would be point number three. You are a crypto baller. Now, when I was a young lad, we used to watch the Superman on TV. I believe it was on WPIX or maybe Channel 9. I'm not sure. But Clark Kent would wear glasses because he didn't want people to know his true identity. He was a badass. I mean, he was Superman. Well, our guest here, Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX, is the Clark Kent of Nadex and IG and all those good things. How are you, Chris Vecchio? Uh, I wish I could say I was doing better. I'm in COVID isolation, which ah. is unfortunate, but that's given me a lot of time to read up on what's happening in China. Well, let's talk about that. You heard Dan and I wax poetic. I mean, I think this plays into your first chart that you brought with Fed rate hike odds. But speak to it. Does this is this situation, in, in my opinion, it shouldn't have anything to do with what we do here. I think the market might be telling a different story. I, I would definitely agree there. First off, we're way too early in this news cycle for the Fed to even react to what's happening over in China, if it's going to react at all whatsoever. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if you go through the Bloomberg High Yield uh, Chinese Credit Index and you decompose the various elements, you can see that this is still relatively well contained to property developers, real estate, and those that are adjacent to real estate, like financing companies. Uh, just three companies come to mind, of course, outside of Evergrande. You've seen Kaiser Group, you've seen Sinac Holdings, you've seen Sunac Holdings, all experienced some volatility, some downside in their credit and in their equity over the last several days. But when you move beyond those names, when you look at, say, Bank of Communications or Lenovo, you're not really seeing that kind of pressure there. So I think what's happening right now with U.S. markets is that we're just seeing some bad news from the world's second largest economy spilling over into a very sensitive time. We're coming out of a low liquidity period from the summer. We're coming into when uh, uh, the Fed may start to announce or inch forward towards its tapering plans. And as we've discussed for the last few weeks, we are now in the seasonally weakest period of the year for equity. So it's this perfect storm, this witch's brew, if you will, oh. that would allow for some downside here, some risk to be taken off the top. Uh, but when it comes to the Federal Reserve, this meeting that's starting today, concluding tomorrow, I do think that we are leaning into what would be another sign that a taper is coming. Uh, after all, they said they want to start to taper this year. We've seen rate hike odds. The blue line in this chart stay relatively firm over the last few weeks, even firm up at the end of last week. We've seen this orange line, the 2510 butterfly. That's moved to its yearly highs, consistent with the taper tantrum type of price action we saw in 2013, 2014. And this white line, the US dollar index, it's been following both of these fairly closely. So will we get the taper announcement tomorrow? No, that's I don't think that's going to happen. We have no. too much risk on the table right now. We have this potential US debt ceiling breach over the next few weeks. I think the Fed is going to tee it up so that they can make an announcement in November, December at the latest, with the ensuing taper starting. All right, Chris Vecchio, you're a young lad here. You're obviously very experienced, though, and you know you were wise in the ways of macro trading. But you said one thing. You said that some sort of thing that's going on somewhere in the macro markets is contained. And Guy Adami, we just don't use that term. you got to figure out other ways to talk about why you don't think something is going to be systemic because that one will go down in history as one of the biggest faux pas, I think, by guy, can you help me out there on that? I mean, we just yeah, don't. I don't know how to spell faux pas. I mean, those all those contain Bernanke characters. I mean, well, don't even see, no. don't even get me started because I, right. I woke up. Right. I'm I like, got you started. Like I moan in, right, in fast times. I woke up in such a good mood. I don't know what right. happened. I'll tell you what happened. You started talking about these numbskulls yeah. at the Federal Reserve. Please all right. continue. Go, go, all right, guy, go back to sleep here. All right. So Chris Vecchio, you don't, you think it's a bit, you know what, 
for the time being here. But I think what you've laid out is that there's just a lot of headwinds right now to the markets, okay? And they could be headwinds to the economic growth framework that we know here globally or, or um, you know, or, or locally here. But right now, the markets hadn't been pricing in really anything, about a week ago. And I think that's really the main point. And that's why we're having this sell-off. And right now, as we're talking, the market has gone red. It's gone down on the day after we had this little bounce. And we had, the, obviously, that late-day bounce here. What are, what are the biggest headlines right now? So you don't think there will be a taper announcement. Yields are telling us that's not likely the case here. What do you think the biggest potential headline right now to some form of um, you know, pullback that might get us back down to the, the 200-day moving average in the S&P 500? What's the biggest risk right now to markets? I think the biggest risk for markets right now is that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't say anything about what's happening with Evergrande. You know, quite frankly, I know we're in the mid-autumn festival in China right now, and therefore their markets are still technically closed until tomorrow. But uh, over the weekend, none of the three major newspapers that the CCP uses as its mouthpieces in the media over there made any sort of announcement or any sort of policy recommendation about what could occur around Evergrande. So I don't think China really is worried about the financial contagion. I think they're more concerned about the social contagion. As you guys alluded to earlier in the session, there has been some civil unrest there, some protests around what's been going on. And obviously, that's what they want to avoid first and foremost. So some sort of managed decline here, some managed descent with Evergrande. They want to take the cream off the top of their property market. Uh, Property is actually a bigger component of the Chinese citizen's wealth than the American citizen's wealth, if you look at the composition of overall wealth for the average person in those societies. Uh, And so, you know, right now, the way I see this, can we see more downside? Absolutely. I think the next few weeks are going to be pretty tough. I don't think it's going to be an easy go from here on out. I don't think this Evergrande story is going to go away anytime soon. It's going to be on the back burner or even at the front of our minds for the next several months, perhaps into 2022, because of the issues in the Chinese real estate sector altogether. But for the Fed tomorrow, the big thing is whether or not they think the economy has weathered the storm of Delta. And when you look at the retail sales numbers, when you see where jobless claims have been persisting, I think they're going to give an indication that we've made enough progress for them to feel comfortable talking about tapering in a little bit more of a concerted sense. Chris, the dollar's been firm. I say misguided. What say you? Unfortunately, as as much as I like to think that the dollar is due for more weakness, you have this textbook macro situation with loose monetary policy, loose fiscal policy, expansive deficits, expanding debts. Unfortunately, the reality is that there are a lot of other countries that are dealing with the same situation. Uh, So when you take a look at what's going on with the dollar, the largest component of the dollar index is the euro, 57.6%. And when you take a look at the differentials between U.S. and eurozone inflation right now, it would speak to historically a situation where the dollar can still gain some significant value here. So even though we have been carving out a little bit of a lower high relative to what we saw over the summer, it's too early to suggest that this dollar thrust higher is finished. We are, of course, on the other side of that symmetrical triangle of resistance that really encompassed price action for 11 or 12 months there. And I do think that the dollar index in a situation where equities may see a little bit more downside is still fairly appealing. Uh, it may not be perhaps against the yen, which we'll cover later on, but against the euro, against the British pound, it still has some strong tailwinds to it. The Beatles saying of nowhere, man, uh, gold is in no man's land. Talk to me here because this sucker can't get out of its own way. You know, really, gold's still just so disappointing on all fronts. Last week, we had those retail sales reports out of the United States, and, and gold took a big dunk lower, almost accelerating the expectation that the Fed would come forth with that taper announcement. 
And so gold right now is still persisting below that uptrend support from the, the May 2019, March 2020, March 2021 <coughs> lows here, below triangle support that had been in place since the start of this year. Look, gold has not been able to take advantage of what has been a really easy environment, theoretically speaking. And even with this China news, its rally has been lackluster compared to one would expect if we're seeing significant financial contagion. Uh, if there is something that gets gold going, however, we need to keep an eye on this debt ceiling debate. But this is a game of chicken. Policymakers in D.C. love to kick the can down the road as long as they can. If gold is really going to benefit from that conversation, I don't think we're going to see that until October. So as far as I'm concerned, gold may be one of these sell on rally situations up into that 1780, 1790 level. We can find ourselves back through there. We can reassess. But right now, it's just very difficult to like gold. Difficult to like silver, which actually broke below its August low yesterday. Some call it cable. Some call it sterling. Other people call it the pound. What do you call it here, Chris Vecchio? Uh, well, cable, you know, historically speaking, for those that don't know, it's because of the transcontinental wires between North America and, and Europe. And so that's where it gets its nickname from. But here it looks like that cable is about to snap. I mean, we've talked about uh, the pound having some wide distribution and potentially being one of the places to look for U.S. dollar weakness. Uh, that downtrend that it was in from June, July, August, it returned back in there and instead has started to carve out a little bit more of a triangle here, a triangle at which it is starting to test support. It's testing a cluster of Fibonacci retracements that have been key over the past really six to seven months. Uh, the way I see this right now, if we do see some more weakness below that 136 figure, there's not a lot to like right now in pound. And given the fact that we do have this descending trend line from the November 2007 and the July 2014 highs, we're talking about a potential technical scenario that could suggest a lot more weakness to come. And as the third largest component of the dollar index, that would embellish or at least embolden the greenbacks trek higher in what appears to still be a positive technical formation for the Dixie. The sun also rises. The sun at times sets. What's dollar yen going to do here? Dollar yen guy has just been so frustrating for so many traders, right? As Fed rate hike odds rise, we've seen U.S. equity markets fall. And then we see dollar yen go sideways. And then when Fed rate hike odds fall, U.S. equity markets rise. And so then dollar yen goes sideways. Uh, you know, yen is one of those currencies that typically benefits when there's significant regional weakness, when there is a problem coming out of Asia. It tends to be the safe haven du jour. And so if there is one currency that I'm keeping an eye on as these Evergrande fears gather pace, I'm looking at the yen here. It's possible that we see a little bit more downside, particularly if U.S. Treasury yields are coming back in. More weakness on that front could lead to a break of this gathering triangle in place since the start of July. And that actually means that the yen would probably do even better against a slew of those Asia-Pacific currencies like your Australian dollar, like your New Zealand dollar, perhaps even against uh, you know, the, the, the Thai, the, the Indian rupee, uh, the Singapore dollar. But the yen should be the currency that stands to benefit the most if these Evergrande fears continue to persist and weigh on general risk appetite. Well, I called you Clark Kent to start. Well, you're Superman coming out. So I want to thank you, Chris Vecchio, for joining us. Dan Nathan, parting wisdom here before we get on out. 
Yeah, so hopefully this video will hit um, at some point uh, in the not so distant future in Tuesday. And I think what's important here is that, you know, we had that late day bounce in the equity markets here in the U.S. I think that traders have become accustomed to buying the dip and, and fearing overnight headlines that might cause snapbacks, especially as we got to that 5% peak to trough decline, largest in, in, in weeks or if not months, actually, very many months. Um, so here we are, you know, we kind of come back here. Let's see if we can kind of test those lows. We test those lows from yesterday and we hold, we're probably, you know, back in the game. You buy that dip, um, if you will. Um, for me, I like the idea of playing for a broader sell-off here, but I don't press lows, guy. You know that. Um, I look to cover. We talked about it at the start of the thing. When we were near the lows yesterday, you look to kind of take some off here. So you got to be nimble. It's a great trading market. Well, you can tell I'm all geeked up. I'm all hopped up on Mountain Dew. Is Who is that guy? What's that actor that I like? I don't even know his name. That would thank, thank, thank you to Talladega Nights. Well, it ain't Talladega and it ain't night, but I do want to thank our guest today, the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. I also want to thank our presenting sponsors, Dan Get Ready. Open Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And of course, Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and? You're a knockout guy, Dami. Damn straight. See you next week. Next week.